Welcome to Simply by Grace, a podcast of Grace Life Ministries with founder and director, Dr. Charlie Bing. This podcast and other helpful resources can be found at our website, gracelife.org. Now, here's Dr. Bing. Well, greetings to you. We're going to be in Ecclesiastes. We to start in verse 16, go into a little bit of chapter four, because I think that's where it actually breaks. So it's been an interesting book and study, as always. Um, not many people spend a lot of time in the book of Ecclesiastes, um, much less uh, can pronounce it sometimes. But uh, starting in verse 16, uh, you notice the phrase, he says, moreover, I saw under the sun. Now, this is a phrase that we talked about in the last hour. We've talked about from the beginning of the book when I preached it here before, chapters one and two. This little phrase, under the sun, appears three times in, this, in uh, this chapter, 29 times in the book. And what it refers to is what life is like from the human dimension without God. Without God in the picture, what life looks like is under the sun. This is what life on earth looks like. So we have to resist the urge to call Solomon, the author, a critic or a cynic about life. He's simply saying, this is what I see. It's not until the end of the book he tells us uh, and, and shows how we can live in light of all the unknown things, and, um, and we'll see that. But what he's, this is what he's going to see. He's going to say, he sees things like this, in the place of judgment, wickedness was there, and in the place of righteousness, iniquity was there. When Solomon looks around, he sees injustice and wickedness abounding. We can say that we live in a beautiful world. I'm a nature lover. I love to be outdoors. I love to fish and be outdoors and just enjoy God's creation. It's a beautiful world. It has many beautiful people, but it's not that way for everybody. Some people have tasted the dark side of life, the difficult side of life, the unfair and unjust side of life. Put yourself in the shoes of somebody who lives in Syria, which is constantly at war, civil war and, uh, and genocide. Uh, put yourself in the shoes of of those in the human trafficking market who are sold by their own parents as children to be used uh, in human trafficking, or those who are abused, or those who are drafted into the armies as children in Africa, uh, into the rebel guerrilla armies. There's so much injustice in the world. It's not a beautiful place for everybody. It can be a difficult place for those who suffer all kinds of injustice. We see it every day. We don't have to turn on the news for very long before we hear about 300 Easter worshipers, Christians killed in Sri Lanka because of nine suicide bombers. It doesn't take long to turn on the news, well, this morning and hear about another shooting in a synagogue in San Diego. My friends, I don't have to convince you that we live in a world that's just not fair and is not just. Justice abounds and where there should be righteousness, our author says iniquity was there. It wouldn't be hard to turn into a cynic and to say, if there is a good God, why does he let bad things happen? Or as many people have told me, I can't believe in a God when I see these bad things happen. Why would he, if there's a God, why would he ever allow them? And so perhaps you've experienced injustice in your own life. Somebody has treated you unfairly in a business deal or in a marriage situation, or you're the one that tries to obey all the traffic laws, but you get a ticket for going five miles over the limit when somebody just passed you at 80 miles an hour weaving in and out of traffic, and he goes unpunished. You could become cynical. Poet Longfellow 
wrote the hymn called I Heard the Bells of Christmas Day. And one of the parts of that hymn says, And in despair I bowed my head, there is no peace on earth, I said, for hate is wrong and mocks the song of peace on earth, goodwill to men. He starts the hymn that way by saying, I was despairing because of all the wickedness that's abounding in the world. But of course, the hymn goes on to talk about the birth of Christ and the, he hears the bells of Christmas Day that brings him hope. And that is our only hope in such a world. Matthew 5.45 reminds us that the rain falls on the just and the unjust, but somebody has paraphrased it this way. The rain falls on the just and the unjust fellow, but unjust steals the just's umbrella. Yeah, the rain falls on everybody, but that doesn't mean everybody treats each each person the same way. Injustice abounds. So we're looking at life from Solomon's perspective, just to remind you that Solomon, as the author, was the king of Israel. He was very wealthy, and he had tried many different ways to find meaning in life by experimenting with all different kinds of uh, luxuries and pleasures and building projects. And yet his conclusion with it is that all is vanity, used 38 times in the book, meaningless, uh, incomprehensible, uh, an enigma. Life has remained kind of a mystery to us. Everything in the world seems meaningless. And that's the perspective that we have from under the sun, our limited human viewpoint. And so re remember that we can't judge each statement of the book of Ecclesiastes based on what Solomon is saying and take it as doctrine or teaching. He's just making observations. And that'll be very important to remember in some of these passages even that we look at today. You have to look at it from the perspective that is not given to us until the end of the book, where he tells us that God is in control and fear him. That's the key to living a life when we don't understand it. So we live in a world that's full of all kinds of injustice. We see it around us. We've experienced in our own lives. But he tells us in verse 16 and 17 that we will have to wait for perfect justice. Uh, he said in verse 17, I said in my heart, God shall judge the righteous and the wicked, for there is a time there for every purpose and for every work. Here he's referring back to the previous section that we just discussed about there being a time for every purpose. God has his purposes and there's a time. There's a time to allow injustice to happen. There's a time where he's going to settle the books and balance things out. Now, sometimes that judgment will come on this earth. As the prophets predicted against many of the nations of the world who persecuted Israel, God's going to judge you, Babylon, Assyria. And indeed he did. And he predicted he would judge Israel. And indeed he did. Sometimes the judgment happens in this world. Sometimes people get what, what's coming to them in this world. But sometimes they don't. Sometimes the worst dictators go on to rape the wealth of all, all the wealth of their country and go and retire in another country and die of natural causes, even though they've killed thousands or millions of people. But Solomon is assuring us in his wisdom that God is going to judge them. There's a time for that. If it's not in this age, it's in the age to come. There will be a time to judge all unrighteousness and wickedness. So we're surrounded by corruption. We see it in the court system. We see it in our politics. We see it even in the Olympics where judges have judged their own countrymen unfairly, but God will judge in the future. There's a time coming. And then he goes on, and as he says in his heart, as he makes an observation in verse 18, I said in my heart, he's thinking to himself, concerning the condition of the sons of men, God tests them that they may see that they themselves are like animals. 
Now, remember, I said, don't take everything that Solomon says as the final truth. He's just telling you what he observes, that men are like animals in this way. For what happens to the sons of men also happens to animals. One thing befalls them as one dies, so dies the other. We're like animals because we all die like animals. And usually we have to watch our animals die because they live less than we do, unless you have a pet tortoise or something that might outlive you. But generally we have to put watch our favorite cat or favorite dog die after 10, 15, 18 years, something like that. And we have our time too. He goes on to say, surely they have one breath. Man has no advantage over animals for all is vanity. What he's trying to say is that uh, what happens to us is the same that happens to animals is that it, it kind of reveals that we are in a way like animals in our naturalistic sense. In our left to ourselves, our natural heart and our sinful nature, we're like animals in that way. And because we're part of this sinful creation, we die like animals. And that's just what he sees under the sun. And so if we are apart from God, there's not any meaning or maybe any reason to watch this kind of death and observe this kind of death. And if there is no God, what would be the purpose of living anyway? So we kind of behave like beasts. We die like beasts. And, um, and beasts live a pretty cruel existence. Now, I know that we are thinking of Fido and, and Chippy the cat or something. But, but if you've ever been in the wild or watched many Natural Geographic movies, you'll You'll see animals devouring one another mercilessly, mercilessly. They, they, a lions will attack a, a, a baby elephant and, and parents are trying to fight it off, but they finally will kill the little baby and parents have to walk away from it. They show that on safaris. And, um, and, and you know what? The guides, the safari guides are not allowed to interfere. The tourists are not allowed to interfere because they say nature has its way. And that's how the lions eat. It seems cruel to us and unjust to us that a baby newborn would, would die a cruel death like that. But that's, that's the natural way. That's the, the animal way. And in a sense, human beings can be quite a bit like that. The strong prey on the weak. The rich can prey on the poor. The powerful prey on the weak. It's like that all over the world where people take advantage of those who are weaker than they. But he's not saying that we're, he's not giving a theology of humanity or animals. He's not saying that animals have a soul or that humans don't have a soul. I think that's extending beyond what he's saying. He's simply saying what he sees under the sun, what he observes as an observer of life is that we're no different from animals and that we prey on one another and then we die. And it's all vanity, meaningless, uh, futility. And then he says in verse 20, all go to one place, all are from the dust and all return to dust. Who knows the spirit of the sons of men, which goes upward, and the spirit of the animal, which goes down to the earth? Now, he says all go to one place. I think what he's talking about is the place of death. He's not saying that all dogs go to heaven, uh, nor is he saying that all people go to heaven or all people go to hell. He's just saying that we all go from his observation to one place, and that's to the grave. That's where everybody ends up. In fact, uh, he's really asking the question and leaving it open. We don't know whether the spirit of man goes upward and the spirit of the animal goes down and stays in the earth. We can't prove either. We can only see what we see. We only know what we see. 
Now, you and I have the scriptural revelation that tells us when we as a believer die, we go into the presence of the Lord and we have a future in heaven and a future in the kingdom of God. We know that from the revelation of scripture. But from Solomon's perspective as a simple man looking at the world, he's saying, I can't prove to you that man's soul is going up into heaven or that an animal just stays in the grave. He's just leaving it an open question because he doesn't have the answers to that. There's no observable difference to them. We were created out of dust, and to dust we return, something that's often said at funerals. little boy went to a funeral, and he heard that the preacher say, you know, from dust we have come, and from dust we'll return. And he went home and went up to his room. He came running back downstairs. He said to his mom, he said, Mom, I just looked under my bed, and somebody's either coming or going. Now, verse 21, he says, who knows the spirit of the sons of men, which goes up with the spirit of the animal, which goes down to the earth. So I perceive that nothing is better than that a man should rejoice in his own works, for that is his heritage. For who can bring him to see what will happen after him? So in verse 21, he's not making a, a statement about the ap- afterlife. He's just making the point that we're the same as animals. But in, in view of that, in view of that, what about what we're here to do? We should rejoice in the work that we have to do, whatever God gives us to do. That is our inheritance. That's our, he called it a gift from God earlier in the chapter. It's our, a gift from God to have work to do, gainful employment, a gainful activity, and then enjoy the fruits of that activity. And so he says, a man should rejoice in his own works. It's no use to fret about the meaninglessness of life or the events and things that have happened to us or to fret about the injustice that happens to us as as terrible as it is. Try to rejoice in the good things that we have that God has allowed us to enjoy. For who can bring him to see what will happen after him? We don't know what's going to happen tomorrow, so let's enjoy today. Don't destroy what we can enjoy by what we don't understand. Don't let what we don't, I think what way we said it last hour was don't let what we don't understand destroy what we can enjoy. So, you know, some people have used, here's another example of how some people have used this passage. There's, there's a certain denomination that preaches what's called annihilationism. Annihilationism is the view that when you die, you die, and you just turn to dust, nothing happens to you, you don't go to heaven or hell, period. If you believe in Jesus, they, they do teach that you, you have an eternal existence, but if you don't believe in Jesus, you just annihilate it. And they point to a verse like this to say, you're just like the animals that go to the earth. Uh, but see, that you're pulling doctrine out of uh, a genre of literature that's not intended to teach doctrine, just observe, making observations about life from the human perspective under the sun. And uh, so they have really gone uh, into an incorrect interpretation with all that. So what should a man do? A man should rejoice and enjoy his life in spite of the world's unfairness. Uh, nothing is better than a man should rejoice in his own works because we just don't know when things are going to change. And since we're not sure about uh, exactly what happens when we die or, or exactly uh, what happens at the moment we die, although we as Christians do, Solomon's perspective is more limited. He says, rejoice as you can. So we can turn disadvantages to advantages, injustices, and we can find pleasure even within uh, injustice. God has designed life so that we have to trust him because we don't understand everything that's going on around us. This should keep us from being disillusioned, depressed, cynical, and really ruining our lives. 
because of what somebody has done to us unfairly or how someone has treated us unfairly. Don't let what you can't understand destroy what you can enjoy. He goes on in chapter four, and I think really the division, obviously that the, the one who divided the chapters thought it stopped at chapter three, but um, I think he goes on to draw a conclusion in chapter four somewhat. So we're going to look at the first three verses of chapter four, where Solomon says, then I returned and considered all the, the oppression that is done under the sun. And look, the tears, the oppressed, and they have no comforter. On the side of their oppressors, there is power, but they have no comforter. So again, he's looking at things under the sun. He's looking at things just as he sees them. And he sees people who are oppressed and they have absolutely no power at all. They're born into a system of slavery or an hierarchy or a class system where they have no hope of ever being advanced or ever of anyone helping them. And they have oppressors, those who have gained power over them, either through money or through politics. One of the countries I'll be going to this summer is the country Burundi, officially the poorest nation in the world. And they've been having a lot of trouble recently because the president of Burundi, although the constitution gave him two terms, decided to take three. He hadn't gotten as rich as he wanted to on the backs of the poorest people in the world. And the people can't do anything. And the last time I was there, I was talking to some of my friends, and they're basically resigned to just having a king, is how they put it. We've just decided to live with a king. Their vote really counts for nothing. The political system is so corrupt. The military is so controlling and, and vengeful and punish, punishing those who resist or run against their president. They have no power. They have no one to comfort them, no one to help them. A few countries have put sanctions against them. They haven't changed. He says, therefore, I praise the dead who were already dead more than the living who are still live alive. Yet better than both is he who has never existed, who has not seen the evil work that is done under the sun. Now here, Solomon seems to reach kind of a pinnacle in his conclusion, which doesn't sound too encouraging to us, because basically what he's saying is it's better to never have lived at all than to experience the kind of injustice and suffering that we can and many do go through. He kind of says it, though, in a way that is, um, you know, can I make up another word, oxymoronic? Because he says, uh, better than he, better than both is he who has never existed. You can't have a he who never existed. So it's kind of an oxymoron. So he's praising the dead because they've already left this very unjust and unfair world and their suffering is behind them. And, and, um, he praises them more than those who are still alive. But from his viewpoint, it's better to have never existed than to see all the evil that was done, is done in this world. Uh, I do a lot of reading about different places in the world. I like to read nonfiction. So I read history. I read situations. I read about Hazidis were taken into captivity by Al-Qaeda, was it? And um, how they were treated just, and the women were just treated as slaves, passed from one man to another. In all that, and their men were all killed, in all that suffering, though, in all the suffering that I read anywhere, it seems that man is always able to smile about something. There's always something to rejoice about, whether it's just the beauty of a, uh, a sky or uh, the comfort of a garment or uh, a cup of cold water. Recently, I was listening to an interview of a woman who was kidnapped in Uganda as a tourist and, and taken by the uh, uh, Al-Shabaab I think it was faction or the Somalian faction, whoever, the terrorists that kidnapped her. And she said one night she was laying there with her captives uh, on the ground uh, sleeping, and she just looked up at the sky, and it was the most beautiful sky she had ever seen. 
And she said to her captives, isn't that a beautiful sky? And here she was totally at their mercy, totally fearful of what they would do to her, wondering how she could get herself shot rather than go through what she was anticipating. But yet she looked at the sky and saw God's beauty in it and even commented to her captives of that. I guess that illustrates for us what I'm trying to say. And Solomon trying to say that Solomon has not really said it, but even in the midst of an unjust and unfair world, there's something to appreciate. There's love to be found. There's beauty to be appreciated. There's something to be admired. And, and he's saying it's better to not exist. Well, he can only say that because he exists. So it's really a self-defeating statement, isn't it? And we should never take a statement like that and, and, and say, well, it's better to abort that baby than to bring it into this world where the mother is too busy working or it might have a deformity or something like that. Well, why don't you have the baby and ask him, him or her in six years if they would rather have not been born? Children born with deformities or children born with Down syndrome are some of the happiest people in the world, living some of the richest lives that we could ever imagine. So Solomon, in his observation, thinks it might be better to never have existed. And so would the, those who would favor abortion in some circumstances. But I don't think that happens. There's love and beauty always to be experienced. So how do we live in a world that is unfair? Well, we can do it by trusting in God. That's the ultimate answer. Though we live in an unfair world, we learn to enjoy and make the most of life. And we can use injustice to have a deeper testimony and ministry. So we know that there's injustice and you've experienced it in your life. You feel like you've been treated unfairly in some way. Maybe you were not born in the perfect circumstances nor grew up in the best circumstances nor late, or later in life experienced something. Life has not been what you would say fair to you. But remember, fair is only a judgment that we can make under the sun. What Solomon has told us, there's a time for every purpose under heaven. And all the pieces of the puzzle that we don't understand will someday make sense. So what is fair? When you see the picture, the puzzle finally made into a beautiful picture, you won't question what was fair or not. You'll understand. But that time is yet to come. In the meantime, we don't understand the puzzle, but we trust the puzzle maker. We don't have the key to life, but we trust the lock maker, the one who holds the key. And we learn to enjoy life as we can. Enjoy what God brings around to us. Perhaps you were abused. Perhaps you had an abortion, were ill-advised. Perhaps you know someone or have a deformity yourself, a birth defect, I don't know. Perhaps you've been through a terrible accident that has stolen part of your health or changed a part of your body, and you just don't think it's fair that it would happen to you or happen to you at your age. It's a piece of the puzzle you don't understand, but someday you will, and you have to trust the one who knows. So we can't change our lot in life. All we can do is change how we respond to it. And the way we respond is by having faith in the one who has done these things, allowed these things, let's say. Sometimes they're from our own decision. God allows us to do our things to ourselves. So we trust the one who allows these things and trust him to make the most of it. Sometimes good things can come from unfair situations. You've heard of MAD, Mothers Against Drunk Driving. Well, in 1980, Carrie, a 13 uh 13-year-old daughter of Candy Leitner was killed by a repeat DUI offender. What an unfair situation. But she started MAD, a national organization to combat drunk driving. In 1981, Adam Walsh, a little boy, was abducted and murdered. His father, John Walsh, hosted a TV program called America's Most Wanted, which led to the arrest of I don't know how many criminals across this nation. 
an injustice that led to something good. My brother was born um, as far as we knew normal, but when he turned 17, 18 years old, we discovered he was schizophrenic, although we didn't know what that word meant at the time, and nobody paid attention to schizophrenics or talked about it very much. And my mother didn't know where to go for help in Maryland. She, but she finally found a few other people who had similar issues, and they banded together. And they said, you know, people don't know about this disease, and people aren't helping this disease. We need to do something about it. And they started the National Alliance for the Mentally Ill, which is now a nationwide organization, and actually a worldwide organization. And my mother was a charter member. I don't understand um, things, a lot of things about my brother, who's now passed on at the age of 58, much too young. But um, I do know that something good came out of that. So you can turn the things that have happened to you, that which has been unfair, unjust, into something good. You can even deepen your ministry and message because of it. There are other people in this world who have suffered unexplainable injustices, un unexplainable unkindness, unfairness, and they'll, you will have their ear in their heart, and they will listen to you and your message. You will be authentic. You will be real. You can empathize with them. You can have an impact because of what has happened to you. You can use that testimony and declare your faith in God that even though you don't understand why these things happen to you, you know that God is a God of love. He is also a judge who is fair. And the day is coming when all injustices will be corrected and all evildoers will be punished. And even as Christians, we will give an account for our lives, not in the sense of being punished, but in the sense of being rewarded or being denied our rewards before the Lord. There's a day coming when God will make all things fair. He'll balance the books and there will no longer be injustice. It's told in the scriptures that Jesus reigns in the kingdom with a rod of iron. People aren't going to get away with anything in the kingdom, even though they may today. Well, let's pray together. Father, it's hard to understand or put my mind around all the things that uh, each person in this life has gone through that just seem unfair, unexplainable, and unjust. And perhaps someone is struggling today with circumstances in life that haunt them or, or hover over them even now, and they just don't know what to do with it. And Lord, they may die not knowing what to do with it, but what we do know is that you love us and that you have judged all of our sins through Jesus Christ, your son that you sent to bear our sins, and you raised him from the dead, and you promised his return, at which time you will correct all injustice and restore the kingdom on earth, where there will be the reign and the rule of King Jesus, and all things will be made right. That's the faith that we declare in the face of a world that we don't understand. And may that be the faith that is for anyone here who's confused about life. May faith in the Lord Jesus Christ be our hope and our comfort and our joy every day and through every trial and all the trouble of life. May they embrace Jesus as their Savior today. Now, Father, we commit ourselves to you and your purposes and your love in Jesus Christ. In his name we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening. For more resources or to help spread the message of God's life-changing grace, visit our website at gracelife.org. We'd love to hear from you. Send us a message at simplybygrace at gracelife.org. See you next time.